Tundra Talk is brought to you by Frontier Outfitters and Century Hardware, your source for outdoor gear in interior Alaska. It's a locally owned, longtime Fairbanks business that I've shopped at since I was a kid, and they've always done a great job of carrying a wide variety of quality, proven gear that'll tackle whatever Alaskan tasks you need it to. Frontier Outfitters always stays current with gear for the season, and whether you're bear baiting in the spring, fishing or dip netting in the summer, looking for game bags and gears for moose camp in the fall, or need to stock up on trapping lures, get a new spud bar, or just need some bait for your winter burbot sets, they've got you covered. They always carry a wide variety of Alaskan-proven clothing and boots, camping gear, meat processing supplies, lots of guns, ammo, reloading and shooting supplies, as well as gun safes. Downstairs in Century Hardware, you'll find your snow machine and ATV accessories like sleds and hitch pins, gun boots, hot grips, as well as a full selection of marine and boating parts and accessories. They really go out of their way to stock quality, useful equipment, and it's truly one of those great hometown sporting goods and hardware stores that every town needs to have. Whether you're gearing up for a hunting or fishing trip, working on that never-ending home improvement project, or you just need to rehandle an axe, it's usually a one-stop shop. Frontier Outfitters is located on 3rd and Old Steese in Fairbanks, and they have a second location out in North Pole, so make sure you stop in there and tell them you heard about it on Tundra Talk. This episode of Tundra Talk is also brought to you by Hedgecock Group Real Estate, a local brokerage that can cover your real estate needs in the Fairbanks area, whether it's residential, commercial, or just undeveloped property. The Hedgecocks have been active in the Fairbanks and North Pole real estate market since the early 80s and have put together a team that really reflects the diverse needs of homebuyers in interior Alaska. With a brokerage team made up of multi-generation Fairbanks locals, transplants, and military veterans, they really understand the unique aspects of living in the interior and what that means when it comes to shopping for a home in general, buying land to build a home, and they also understand the situations that many military members are in when needing to buy or sell a home in Fairbanks. This is really a unique place to live, and whether it's learning why some houses have water-holding tanks instead of wells, how much it'll cost to heat a given house, or just what recreational opportunities are close by, they're here to help you. More than simply acquiring or building a piece of property, they can help you find the right property in the right place and help you learn from their experience. The Hedgecock Group offices are on Noble Street in Fairbanks, and if you want to get in touch with them, visit www.fairbanksakhomes.com. That's how you do it. All right, welcome back to Tundra Talk, everybody. I'm Tyler Friel, and I hopefully have all our technical glitches worked out on the recorder. It looks like it's working. Anyway, um, stoked to uh, to sit down today. Mr. Harrison Gotchling is back over, and the mediocre Alaskan himself, Mr. <laughs> Jeff Lund. How's it going? Good, man. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, no, I'm glad you could make it. I uh, and you know you can tell me about your caribou adventures. This uh, probably not the first time you've been up to Fairbanks, but the first time hunting up here. Yeah, third time I've been up here total. Once I was six or so. My aunt and uncle live in Wasilla, so we did the RV up here and. Looked around, but you know, when you're six or seven, you don't really remember much except for the long ride. And yeah. then uh, I was up here when I was coaching basketball in Ketchikan, so it was cold January. So this is the first time that I've really been able to recreate. Um, and then the caribou hunt was just sweet. Harrison and, and our buddy Steve was talking about coming up here for that, and I was like, dude, might as well do it. 
Heck especially yeah. since I didn't draw anything. I thought, well, the money was going to go somewhere, so I might as well, you know, put it to use and uh, come up here and have an experience. So, and it was an experience. It was fun. Heck yeah, man! No, and uh, and I def I want to hear more more about yourself. He, I w- will point out that I don't know. Jeff's one of the probably the I'd call the OG po- Alaskan podcasters. <laughs> when I when I was starting to get the idea twiddling around of, of doing starting one and. And then the next step is oh well what else is out there in Alaska and I think at the time yours was the only yours was the only you were the only guy in Alaska st- still I mean there was a couple that had fizzled out or mm-hmm. people quit doing them but as far as hunting and fishing that type of thing goes so how does that feel <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, that was uh, very flattering that uh, that you'd bring that up but yeah you just you want to start something and follow through. And that's always the biggest thing. And a buddy of mine said that, you know, your first podcast are going to be terrible. Your hundredth podcast is going to be way better, but you have to get there. And most people yeah. don't, they get to 11 or 12 or something like that. And if you really want to do it, you just got to keep doing it. So, Oh yeah. And, uh, and your pod is, and your podcast is called the mediocre Alaska, <laughs> which I was like, shit, that's a that's a genius. That's like a golden <laughs> ticket idea name. I thought. Yeah, well, it wouldn't apply to you. You can't. I'm surrounded by sheep here, so I'm not sure you could get away oh, with I'm, something like that. I'm still plenty <laughs> mediocre in some in, in some ways, but no, I and uh, yeah, I, I started listening to it a lot, and it yeah, really, as I was kind of figuring out how to go all about go all about this, it was uh, it was nice to have, and it I don't know, podcasting is just different. It's cool how each one can become its own thing, mm-hmm. even within the the context of alaska stuff it's not like there's any shortage of stuff to talk about or anything like that no it seems like a lot of people wait until they're like experts and so there's there's that gap between i'm the new person but i'm not qualified enough to either write about it or talk about it Mm -hmm. and so you you know being able to experience the journey through was something i wanted to talk about because i didn't start hunting until i was 30 yeah uh, when i moved back so um just kind of talking through it and you don't have that pressure to hold some sort of persona or expert that, you know, you'd ever make mistakes. It was like, that's fine. You know, I, I screwed up. Yeah. I missed with my bow two days in a row and I'm going to talk about it and it's no big deal. So yeah, it's fun. No, I think just in general, and you see that seems like you see that so much on social media and all this, it's sometimes it, it's a little discouraging. It seems like every, you know, everybody's oh, yeah. just in this rat race of trying to be friends with the right people and hold, you know, and hold like keep up maintain this image of what they want everyone else to think to think they are you know and, and yeah it's yeah. <laughs> it can be pretty exhausting at times so like I, I mean that's what at least i try to be pretty genuine and yeah. you know i mean that's a cool thing about a podcast is you can just shoot the shit and be yourself you yeah. know if you if you're a, a person that chooses to be yourself then it yeah it's each each I don't know what I'm trying to say, but each podcast <laughs> is going to end up being its own thing. Jeff's quite a bit more articulate than me. Usually that's one of my big struggles. <laughs> well, I, I think there's different approaches to it in the writing too. You write for outdoor life and it's very authoritative and it's very insightful and very clean. Whereas, you know, the writing that I do is a little bit more, you know, narrative stuff. So it's, you have complimentary voices and there's a lot of that out there. And so you know, being who you are, there's going to be an audience for that rather than trying to be something that you're not. And I think that's pretty important to do too. Yeah. And, uh, and I guess probably the big draw for me is to be able to talk about stuff I liked. I mean, and as far as being a writer, that would probably be the last thing I, you would, I would have ever 
thought I would actually do. I mean, I hated English, I hated any kind of writing class in school. And it wasn't until I was in college and, and was in a, a class or two where I was first, I don't know if it just clicked or I was finally like, I wasn't assigned something to write about. I had was able to pick something that I cared about and was invested in or knew something about. I think what a, I remember one paper, I don't know, this is getting way off the rails, but I remember one paper in particular, it was, uh, I was just like, it was a research paper, but it was also, I can't remember what it was about, but it was about some something related to hunting that I, I knew a lot about too. I was just like, I'm so freaking sick of having to go to the library and look up all these damn sources and read right. about shit that I have no, no interest in what it's, it's like, I'd rather be pounding my head into a wall. <laughs> yeah. But, um, so that was just interesting for me. And I have found that I really do. Sometimes it's a struggle too. like even stuff you like, if it's not like an idea that I'm really, really jazzed on or passionate about, you know, and sometimes writing's tough. It's tougher yeah. than I thought it would be, but, um, yeah. Yeah. But teaching high school English, you know, there are a lot of kids who used to like to read, but don't because it became super academic. Yeah. And rather than just like reading about this fun story, it ended up being some, you know, th you just beating them over the head with information, overanalyzing stuff. And so you got to find that balance to where the kid hates or doesn't hate reading and writing anymore. Yeah. And tricking them into liking stuff. And then, yep. hey, let's write this assignment. Let's let's learn some things. You're not going to be an English teacher later, but let's each, let's at least learn how to think. Yep. And let's just, you know, go through the motions, whatever you need to do. Get your C, but you can't get zeros, and I'm not gonna, you know, just let you take a pass because you don't like to do it. So yeah, that's part of growing up is doing things that you might not enjoy a lot, but not I quite find anymore. myself telling my son, my five year old son, that over <laughs> and over again. <laughs> but yeah, well, anyway, well, um, yeah, why don't you give us a little background on yourself? You said you're you're from or lived up here originally and then moved out of state and then came back? Yeah. My parents moved up here when I was five to Cloac. They got teaching jobs there. And so I graduated from Cloac High School and then uh, University of Arizona for college and then got a job teaching in California. Uh, so <laughs> I still have the uh, the 209 uh, area code on my cell phone. So I'm, I haven't fully uh, moved back yet, I guess, but I, I moved back in 2013. And yeah. When you get one of those, you're like, oh, not, ta <laughs> not yeah. talking to the ignore. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, hey, I'm going to call you, but it's going to show up as like political spam. So just yeah. know that it's okay. But uh, yeah, it's great to, to be back and uh, teaching in Ketchikan and uh, just a lot of fun. Like California, there was probably no nicer place to live about 200 years ago. Um, cause you didn't have to make any sort of the weather sacrifices for the outdoors yep. and they had, um, I think it was three seasons out of the year. They had King salmon that would run up the Sacramento river Man. and get all the way, you know, up to the Northern part of the state and just, just incredible. The Sierra Nevada, beautiful. Um, but now it's just, you know, overpopulated political everything. So it was really nice to get out of there. Um, but you know, had some fun down there. But it's, it's really nice to be back and more experiences and new experiences, you know, and meeting people in different parts of the state. Because when you're in southeast, you don't you don't get up north. And up north, you don't necessarily get down southeast. So meeting people like uh, Harrison and Steve that have invited me up. And Steve's been down to, to hunt, too. So yeah, uh, when Harrison's like, come on up, I was like, I'm probably going to. And um, a lot of fun to come up here and just there's so much the state has to offer. So it's been great. Heck, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, – I see it being a pretty unique 
place to, it's like, well, live or be stuck <laughs> sometimes <laughs> in Southeast. I mean, there's, it's just a totally different aspect of Alaska than mm-hmm. anything you'd find here. And I mean, so much cool stuff. It's just different yeah. from what I see. I mean, there's, I think there's, there's ways probably that there's a lot more to do. And then sometimes it might feel like there's like, you can't escape and there's, yeah. <laughs> you can't experience other stuff, but I don't know. How does, how does that aspect treat you? Um, Harris and I were talking about it, just, you know, driving a hundred miles for this caribou hunt one way and then being able to drive back, whereas catch County on the road system and you could spend you know, four hours, but you're on a logging road going, you know, 25. Yeah. Um, and then just the basic daily life, we had to go pick up water, you know, and he's filling up his, uh, the tank in the back and that's not something I have to deal with down there. We catch rainwater. Yeah. But, um, yeah, just different, just just cool to see, and, you know, no place is perfect. You just kind of, there's advantages and disadvantages, and it balances out, but it's it's fun to see it, and then, you know, make a choice if you wanted to move up, but for me, I'm like, dude, it's way too cold, and there's <laughs> ice, and we're driving around, and it's, but, you know, Harrison's talking about, yeah, I could not do 37 and rainy. I'm like, well. Yeah, it's. It's, it's not frozen. Di- no. <laughs> no, it's, it's different, man. That's like a shivery. Chills you to your bone. Chills you to your bone, cold. Which there's the hurt your face, can't feel your hands, cold too. But um, I'm selfishly a little. I had to. I smiled a little bit when I saw how cold it was when you guys were going out yesterday. (laughs) I'm like, oh, gonna get at least you get a real a real dose of cold. That absolutely, uh, yeah. Even trying to stretch my fuel line out to siphon fuel into my snow machines, it was like, don't snap, don't snap, don't snap. Yeah, be real easy on it. (laughs) And he he didn't tell me anything about concerns or anything he had. I was like, dude, this is all on you because I got this is <laughs> I got nothing for this. So um, it was I was excited, and it makes the story better at the end that I had to go through with that. Though at the time, if I would have been able to choose fifteen above or thirty below, I'd be like fifteen above, duh. But uh, now that it was super cold, it kind of makes the experience better. And yeah, good story. So heck yeah. So you got yeah. So we're. And it was not, it's cool that you got to come up and do that, this stage of the 40 mile hunt, if you want to call it that or whatever, because <laughs> I'm sure the, the, the legends of how bad it can be, <laughs> if, if not, if not, I'm sure, you know, you've heard a lot of those stories and stuff, but that's, it's cool to be able to get up and do there where at least when it's been open all winter, you know, I think there's people going up frequently, but it's not just chaos. It's a, it's a little bit of a more real fun hunting experience. Yeah, for I, sure. Yeah. There was only, I think maybe a dozen trucks that we saw over the whole drive, you know, all the way out to the farthest we went was just Eagle summit. But, you know, we ran into people who were nice and helpful. And even whenever we shot some and we're coming out after the sun was setting, you know, yeah. the guy that we passed, um, I lent him, um, uh, my stove or mm-hmm. just a pot for him to boil water in. And, uh, he's like, Oh, I was waiting for you guys to, uh, come back. I was going to make sure you guys came back. And so it's like, oh, that that's good to hear that yeah. someone out there being friendly. But we saw a couple busted up snow machines and stuff out there that had looked like they'd been there for a long time. Had been abandoned. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was the nice thing. I'd never hunted in an area where people were so helpful. You mm-hmm. know, hunting in some of the spots in, in southeast, you know, if someone else comes up or they're in the next pull and they're, or they come over, you know, and just like, dude, what the heck? Uh, we got corked on a on a black bear hunt in the Alpine where yeah. we said, hey, we're going to be right here. Where are you guys planning on going? They said they were going to go over the next ridge 
So it's like, great, you know, we got the plan. You're, you're going this way, so we don't have to worry about you. And then there was a bear right underneath us, and they broke off where they said they were going to go and came right out in front and shot. My buddy was actually planting a, a stock with his bow on this oh, bear. Oh, geez. When they just came right out in front. And there were two guys that were in the Coast Guard, so I don't know how long they'd been in Ketchikan. So they may have been more accustomed to a a lower 48 style of hunting where it's you know public land we get to do what we want we'll just go you know you don't own the land and it doesn't look like you're going after the bear so we'll go after it so it was really cool to see people that were willing to help um and you know that facebook page there's just a ton of people giving information and I was like, dude, can we trust these people that are making these posts? Are they like, <laughs> they're at this summit, but you know, they're, they're posting about another summit, but it was, it was pretty cool. And I think, I don't know how, I know you talked about it on your podcast about this hunt during September. Is it September that's open first? Uh, usually opens in August, but yeah, okay. August, usually it's closed by September, but sometimes it's not. Yeah, and then Harrison, did you bring up that it was still open or was open again or? How did, uh, I don't remember the, the first point when you were trying to sell me on coming up here for this thing. This is when you went with Pat. I well, I'd been talking to him about it before that. So in oh. December, just like, hey, this is, you know, it's going to be open for the foreseeable future because mm-hmm. there's a very high quota. And even if everyone went out there and went crazy, you know, there'd still be probably more caribou to shoot. But and then after I sent him some pictures of me and Patrick's hunt and yeah. it's like, Yep. Yeah. Okay. Hey, come on up and say, like, okay, book take next day. Yeah. I, I think you actually floated it to me before Christmas because when Abby was going to come up, Abby's my fiance, she was going to come up for Christmas. I was like, well, what if we just went up to Fairbanks and did a, like a Christmas caribou? She's like, ha, ha, ha. I'm like, okay. <laughs> she likes to hunt. She shot yeah. elk. She shot antelope. So she's pretty into it. So I kind of floated that half jokingly. Um, but yeah, gosh, it, it seemed like so much time. Like it was going very slow. I was thinking about it, thinking about it, and then it finally happened and got it done the first day. It's pretty, pretty cool. But heck yeah, no, it's a fun, different kind of that winter hunting is a different kind of experience, and it's very unique. Oh yeah, different kind of, I mean, different stuff to watch out for. Like we were talking before, you know, you get you end up getting dressed to stay warm riding your sled, whether you're really not a ton, unless it's tough riding. It's not a ton of physical movement you know and then mm-hmm. you, you know it's regular keep staying dressed warm enough to stay warm there but then regulating your temperature if you, if you got to go hike up over over a ridge or start dragging a caribou or something like that you know being mindful of of how you keep from getting all sweated up and stuff like that is is an education it's yeah <laughs> yeah i was worried about asking stupid questions but sometimes you have to ask <laughs> yeah, them. oh I yeah thought, well he put the hand warmers on on the snow machine, so my hands were sweating, which mm-hmm. felt great that they were warm. But then I thought, man, what if we see something over this ridge, and then I got to take the glove off to pull the trigger, and what if I got to wait for something to turn? Like, is my hand going to freeze to the trigger? Like, yeah, thirty below. Like, what should I ask him this question? Like, what is this a stupid question? But um, I think I asked it in a: Is it so dry that the water will evaporate first or if it's just going to instantly freeze or what's, <laughs> what's going to happen yeah so no that's a, that's a that's a witty way of coming around uh, doing that i wouldn't have, i'm not that smart i wouldn't have thought of that but no there are what they say there are no stupid questions only stupid people but <laughs> i like uh, that um, i'll take that one to, to no but sometimes it's like basic stuff like that and that's as a lot of writing stuff for outdoor life like i tried to 
think of stupid questions because a lot of times it's and they aren't stupid questions, but a lot of times there's basic things or maybe things we think are basic that aren't basic yeah. for someone who may not or you know may be from a different place or hunt a different way or you know there's a million different objects so like that's one of the things I try to do when come when they want me to do like DIY type ideas or explain how you do this and it's one thing I'm terrible at as far as like interviewing you know people or in you know people in general I'm bad at that but uh you know it's an old timer with a bunch of stories you know it's like how do I get this guy to tell me in detail about all these, you know, even just one of these million stories. Cause it's all just another sheep hunt or another this or that. That's normal to that person. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, that's a struggle of mine. Something I could, I could greatly improve at. I can't, I can't even figure it out myself. So <laughs> as opposed to asking other people, but no, like that is, yeah, it's not, not stupid to ask basic questions and stuff like that. Um, he gave me a pretty, so you, pre- pretty good uh, snow machine starter sort of. This is what you do, and make sure that you lean this way. Yep. And so it was that was that was key right off. And then because he had never ridden a snow machine before this. No, oh this yeah, is, no, that's a little little bit of learning curve there. Especially did he put you on the tundra? No, I gave him the bigger one. Oh, gotcha. So. <laughs> But the first part we went to, there it would, he was breaking the trail in the in the tundra, and I don't know, like right off the bat, like I kind of got off his track a little oh, bit yeah, and sunk in a little in, bit. Yep. And, uh, I was able to get out, which it's good to have a little bit of that right off the bat, and then and then get yourself out. That way, you mm-hmm. have a little bit more confidence. But I told him, um, "When in doubt, throttle out. Just just fucking go punch it. Yeah, <laughs> really." Which at first I thought he was kidding or something, but it didn't end up making sense that you wanted to have the power to go continue the motion rather yep. than lose sink, your moment sink yeah. down yeah so um yeah that was nice and then also he later on in the day he, we wanted to go down just really steep kind of rocky and i thought this is this is insane man this is day one like i'll trust you but man i'm, I'm not really feeling it so he backed off that which is nice he wasn't just you know yeah i can do it so you might as well can't might as well too like, yep hang on and punch it yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't you really want to be a first responder right now so. <laughs> No, that's cool, but it's, you know, I, I, for me, it'd be something like running a, running a skiff or heaven forbid a bigger boat, like down there around the islands in the saltwater, man, that scares me to death. Like I'll, I, I'm very comfortable in rivers. I mean, obviously not like insane rivers, but I can read water. I can read flowing water and, and do fine on rivers. And it's just totally different type of techniques and things you're looking for but man like all all the big rocks right under the water especially if it's an expensive boat i get told to drive um that kind of thing scares me and learning like dealing with tie you know tying off your boat dealing with tides where yeah. i tie off my boat i don't have to worry about it i can yeah. leave it tied there. just going that way i can leave it tied it. there for a week and it may go up or down a little bit it's just fine i don't have you know but all that stuff's like very basic boatmanship or yeah. if that's even a word um boating skills you know that's that's just basic stuff down there that is like some of the first things you learn yeah whereas throw me into that i'm going to be asking a lot of stupid <laughs> yeah. questions yeah. we were talking about that on the way over here just how how do you live in fairbanks if you don't have a snow machine and or a four-wheeler and then how do you live in southeast without a boat 
Like, yeah. What else do you do? Like if you like the, the city life or the outdoor life, you might as well live or the inside life, the bar life, the nightlife, you might as well live somewhere that's warmer. You might as oh, well yeah. live somewhere that has, you don't have to go get your own water or you don't have to, you know, shovel 18 inches of snow in, in March. You don't have to deal with all the rain or something. Yeah. Um, but you know, different toys, different stuff to learn. And, um, some skills transfer, others don't at all. And it's fun to learn something new and test yourself, but it can be a little bit hairy at first. So, Oh yeah, a little bit. And it's, yeah, nothing wrong with being in slightly uncomfortable situations. It's can be, can be, you know, if you, if you stick to it and, and learn, you know, it can definitely grow, grow your skill sets. But yeah, that's, uh, we were just talking about that a little bit the other night. Um, I think I'd mentioned something about, you know, it's like all so many places, it's all just the image and, you know, having all the toys and stuff. And yeah. it's up here, it, people have the toys, but it's kind of different. It's not, it's not a self image thing. It's a, it's a means to an end type of thing. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you can, the more, a lot of time, you know, the more flexibility you have, if you have a boat and a four wheeler and a snow machine, you can do a hell of a lot more, go have a lot more fun than you may be able to have. Not to say you can't do other stuff without, it's not always a requirement, but they help. Yeah. It's just a, a different, country. it's like a different motivation to getting the stuff than, yeah. when, than at least as, than at least what it's, what I would interpret it as or what it looks like in a lot of other places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You look at, one of the reasons why having the podcast, you don't have a lot of the voices of actual Alaskans throughout the entire year. Yeah. You have a lot of people from down south who come up and, and a lot of magazines too. They they send their friends or they send, you know, themselves and they come up here and they do that. And it's Alaska during August, September, October. Yep. Um, and it's just a glimpse and you just see the lifestyle, just the ordinary person living up here is so much more just adventurous than, than a lot of other places. And that's pretty fascinating. That whole life. Um, it's, it's cool to see. And then it varies so much because like, we're, we're, we've been talking about just, you have to live it at a certain way. Otherwise it's, there's no point being here. Yeah. And to live it right, you have to have some of those toys, whether it just be, you know, kayak, if you just want to kayak a ton and mm-hmm. that's fine. You know, got, uh, some buddies down in California or in, uh, in Alaska that, they're Southeast Alaska don't do a lot of hunting, but you know, they like to kayak, they do stuff and yep. it's not the recreational once a summer, like some people in California that go up to the lake for a week and that's great, but that's just kind of the California program. And up here it's, it's a weekly thing. It's, you know, a daily thing during the summer and that's, you got to have those toys. Otherwise you're wasting time. Yeah, no. And that's, and that was one of the main ideas that <clears throat> I wanted to, you know, or for me for starting the podcast too, is bringing the perspective of those of us who live here, you know, still telling the stories. Cause when I, you know, at the very beginning and I, after I, shortly after I learned what a podcast was started, li- Oh, there's some hunting podcasts. And then there's some with Alaska episodes. And I mean, it was like not diminished people's stories or anything, yeah. but everything was up. Well, we went up there for 10 days and, and, you know, you see the people come and go and everything. It's just a different perspective yeah. than being a year round, you know, we're doing this now and that, that you know, that, yeah, being yeah. a year round resident and living, yeah. living it kind of full time just brings a different perspective. Yeah. So that's, that was one thing I really wanted to, to capture yeah. and. Yeah. Cause finding Alaskan people podcasts. can see what dipshits we are sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah. finding Alaskan podcasts or, you know, like episodes of Alaskan stuff where it's like someone who paid a guide to go on like a 10-day sheep hunt that cost them 25 grand or something. Yeah. You know, and that's it. Or the once-in-a-lifetime moose that some dude saved up and he's 65 years old and it's like that's their Alaskan trip versus yeah. like, yep, went out this weekend up up this river, caught some king salmon and, you know, going back down, had some time with the family and, you know, having that kind of stuff to me is a lot more interesting to hear like personal stories. Yeah, and, well, it makes it, it makes like those of us up here, I see, I feel like it makes it a little bit more real maybe. Like, yeah, getting the the whole picture instead of just the highlight reel. Not say that anybody's stories suck, you know, but it's it's cool getting more of our perspectives out there. And mm-hmm. and there's a few, you know, a few more um, like Alaskan podcasts popping up, which is great. You know, there's there's plenty of room for it. And I don't yeah. think, you know, sometimes people might think that it's a little competitive or uh, or you know, I don't know people oh what do you think about this one or like you know i i think it's helpful if anything yeah, you know for sure. the more there's plenty of stuff to talk about and everyone brings their own brings their own perspective to the table and if there's a few more podcasts about alaska you know from people up here floating around then that's more you know if people start listening to one they're generally probably going to search out others too yeah. so it's not a zero sum game you're yeah. not you know it's You're not, not like it's not it, him or vice versa it's not or, like everyone having you know hoarding their own piece of the piece of the the listener pie you yeah. know so to speak yeah make that pie bigger yeah uh, yeah that's good yeah it's funny too um, as a teacher and you live in the in a close proximity you don't have as much privacy because catch cans twelve thousand people um, you know you have so many more interactions outdoors so you know kids see you out fishing see you out hunting in um, this last November I was walking up, um, logging road and there were some people walking toward us and ended up being two of my students. And I have, I have collected a, a Sitka program over or, a, um, system, you know, you got the, the gear and, you know, the jackets and everything. And as we're walking up on these kids, they, they're in their, they have their school backpacks, you know, and just like regular gear, nothing fancy at all. And they went out and shot too. And I didn't get any that day. Yeah. And I heard the story the next day in my journalism class that the kid, as they were walking up, they're like, oh, if this guy's in, in Sitka, then we're out of here. Or, you know, we're going to turn around or something like that. And they're like, oh, and then we found out it was you. Oh. I was like, oh, dude, that's kind of jacked up. <laughs> People so, thinking that, oh, like the guy that's all decked out, oh, we might as well not even, yeah, need like, not apply. <laughs> look at this idiot here, right? And <laughs> so I was going to throw himself at you. Yeah. So, or that I was, you know, some un, unethicked you know, jerk or something like that. But I was like, well, that, that, that'd probably be a pretty good lead for your news article about how you see this guy dressed out like some sort of Sitka guy, whatever. And you thought he was an idiot. Um, <laughs> go ahead and write that, you know, that, that's, that's a good image to start your, your writing with, but it's, it's cool to see that. And then, and then the kids, um, you know, share hunting stories on Mondays. That's just such a, a valuable part of, of the community up here that people don't get to hear Yeah, is if you do come up here and you just go on that hunt, you might not, meet anybody that actually lives here mm-hmm. and you might not really get an idea of what it is to live here. And that's, what's missing from a lot of that stuff. So it's nice to have the voices of the real community out and seeing, um, just how connected it is and how it's, it's much healthier that way when you have people who care about each other, uh, are connected and all share the same sort of thing. It's, it's, it's pretty nice. It's not just go somewhere and, you know, take the resource and then go back to where you live. And I think that's, that's played in when I go down to hunt or fish down South, you know, that it's like, this is someone else's backyard, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's all private land or it's all public land, but 
you know, like it's someone else's home state. And so just kind of be appreciative and not, you know, be too, um, I don't know, selfish about the experience and try to meet some of the people who actually live there and, and call it home. Right. And so what is this, what is this like? And so I kind of try to keep that and keep that in mind. And I don't want to be like the jerk tourists that I point out in Ketchikan. I don't want to be like that when I go somewhere else. So, um, it's beneficial that way, I think too. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, earlier you or you're talking about hunting spot is, is well people being helpful and stuff like that and that's it's kind of a different dynamic depending on i think regionally and hunting i've seen a lot i was going to mention i've seen a lot of you know like on some of the blacktail forums and stuff like that you know guys talking oh you know if we're at this pull out and that because there's in a lot of that southeast country you know especially if you're hunting up in the alpine it's like all right this trail goes to this drainage and it's not easy to it's not like you can just walk wherever you want you mm-hmm. know you're hitting targeted areas is that pretty is it kind of a is the dynamic down there kind of a pretty stiff like oh, there's other guys type it, of type of thing it kind of depends like there's i've been around people where you see someone parked in that spot so okay well you know someone else got there let's go somewhere else because so i think people might have two or three different options that are relatively close where it's mm-hmm. not 50 more miles, it's okay. Well, someone is at this pull out, pull out, so they're probably at this ridge. So we're going to go down to this pull out to get to this ridge. I think there's a lot more of that. Yeah. Um, but then other people just, you know, park right next to you and walk right by. Um, and there's a danger in that because you don't have to wear a hundred orange and it's super thick and you don't know, you know, what's, what's going on. Uh, a buddy of mine had parked and then walked up this, and it's just the obvious road. This is where you park and you walk up this road. And my buddy and I were up there during rut and he was posted up by some by some rubs, and I was up a little bit and in some timber, and a guy just walked up, and then my buddy was like, "Hey, there's my buddy's up there." You know, it was at the end of this drainage, so like, there's nowhere else to go. Like, you know, the guy's up there, but he just kept walking by. Yeah, I'm just like, <laughs> like, where are you going? Like, I just told you, you know that I'm here. The drainage just ends up there, and there's another hunter up there. Why would you keep going? Like, what are you what are you doing? So that sort of stuff happens. Um, but I don't know. It just kind of depends. Like some people just go to the next spot. Um, some people go all over. It just kind of depends, but, uh, they're not nearly as helpful, um, as, as that caribou hunt. And I think it's just because it's a meat hunt up here. It's yeah. just people helping out and there's plenty. And especially when you get, when it's not just, not just a circus, you know, everyone, everyone's it's, it's not like. I don't know, it's just different than stuff like sheep, you know, sheep hunting is notorious for like, you know, and people get frustrated. You see on forums, oh, well, I don't bother asking for any help here or whatever. And it's like, people are willing, are still willing to help. It just looks different. You know, there's like this. It's almost like you have to read between the lines when they give you information sometimes. Yeah. Read between the lines or like, I'm going to give you enough to be helpful, but you you got to do, you got to figure it out yourself. You got to do the work yourself too. And it, it, it is being you know that the caribou is like a more on circumstances like you guys had it's a more plentiful like meat thing you know than people are more a lot more loose as far as what they're willing to share you know i mean we've shared more info about that on a podcast than we would ever share about share about sheep hunting spots oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know just because one you know you a lot of that stuff that you you work you work so hard for it that it's, it's understandable. And, and some people don't understand that till they go through the process of 
figuring it out and then mm-hmm. the light bulb comes on and you're like, oh yeah, I know why no one wanted to tell me where they were sheep hunting. Yeah. I think too with the sheer numbers, like you're going to yeah. share because there's a whole bunch uh, up here. You're looking at dozens or hundreds, whereas, you know, on a, on a peak, if there's a you know, limited amount of, of four point bucks, people aren't going to say, hey, you know, go up to California Ridge or whatever yeah. because, you know, they want to go there because they want to get the biggest one or if there are a couple that they can sort through, they can get that one. So they're a lot less likely to, to give you exact details. But pretty much the advice that you get online is if it's August, go to the Alpine. Yep. You know, choose choose a spot, go to the Alpine, and and there you go. Um, it is funny, too, to see how many people like to respond with, oh, I know where that is. Like, yeah. oh, that's a good mountain. Oh, I've been there. <laughs> that like, is funny. Okay. Well, say I, I even... I'll fall into that too. Cause like Harrison shows me a picture and I'm like, Oh, I, yep. I'd know where that is. I know those rocks. Yeah. I know the, I know that yeah. foliage. Like she, and pro- probably I would imagine, it seems like there's a lot in common, like Alpine deer and goat hunters compared to sheep hunters. It's just the, and I think it's like been like that since the beginning of time, probably. you know, even like the old Tony Russ books, you know, like first edition stuff. I think I remember, I mean, I was reading that when I was a kid before we even moved up here and, you know, it's stuff like, oh, this lady, you know, she shot this ram and she wouldn't even tell her husband where she had found it until <laughs> she killed it. And, um, and that, but, and also, yeah, like looking at landmarks and I almost can't look at it at a sheep picture without, you you know, you look at the type of rock mm-hmm. and the lichen on the rock and the plants. Oh, nope, that can't be from there. And I mean, just the amount of recreational speculation i guess it's it's funny that that's where yeah i mean my mind goes a lot whether it matters or not because it doesn't because i'm not going to ask the guy (laughs) yeah you know that's what me and my friends have done before is getting on like zoom calls and screen sharing and like looking at google earth and like all right look at this mountain i know he's in like this range so it's like look oh that's a big mountain there like yeah and then turn (laughs) google earth till you match up the mountains you're like yep okay oh that's that's some dedication there yeah yeah it's kind of funny because it is like a, like a game or like curiosity. And then there are oh, some yeah. people who make those posts to make it like about them. Mm-hmm. Like they're poaching part of the story because they know where you were at. So like, it's like saying I was there first and, oh, finally you figured out where the yeah. good hunting is. And I th- yeah. I think that's a real thing. And it's, yeah. yeah. But then you have like the fun game. It's like, dude, I think this is, and, you know, just, you kind of laugh about it. Hey, good job in the post. It's good job. Congratulations. That's a good mountain. Yeah. You know? Do you yeah. got any other pictures? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I think there is some aspect to that, whether it's, you know, I mean, people just, it sounds like kind of corny to say people get jealous, but it may not, it sometimes, it's just weird. There is a, a factor of that, like, oh, I, I know where that is. I've been there. I've been there. I was hunting that way before you ever, yeah. <laughs> ever, ever thought I, of I it. I found that mountain. I found yeah. that mountain. Yeah. <laughs> But, or even, even sometimes it's funny, like looking at, you know, every sheep's different and different ranges a lot of times will have like similar genetic characteristics and sometimes, oh, yep, that's an Alaska range ram. Yep. For sure. I know. Well, when, uh, when, uh, back when they killed Mart, when Marty Webb killed this ram, Whoa. I'm like pulling out my rampages set of books the one on the cover i mean i had heard about that ram since i was a kid and uh and i think his 
hunting partner killed one that was almost as big. They were, I think they were two, two ginormous rams that were running together. And I've heard different versions of the story from different people. But what I, I remember was that I think they brought them back in and you didn't have to get sheep sealed at the time or anything. And I can't remember how it came about, but they basically got accused of poaching them out of Wrangell National Park. And they're like, no, we killed those in the Brooks Range. Yeah. And... They're like, nope, sheep can't get that big in the Brooks Range. Oh, jeez. And, like, they were at the UAF for a while. I, I can't remember all the ins oh, and wow. outs of the story, but it was, like, a huge a huge deal, you know, um, along those lines of, nope, sheep like that can't come from the Brooks oh, Range. And Wow. I was actually going to ask if those were... It looks like park rams or something, you know. Yeah. <laughs> something that aren't, aren't no, available to most people. It yeah. was, I mean, it was... I can't remember the years that they that they actually got those, but um, it was definitely back more in the closer to the golden days, mm-hmm. um, the golden days, and a lot of that. You know, talking to some of the old timers, a lot of that Brooks Range and the Western Brooks Range. I mean, I've heard the opinion that it's not a lot of it's not that fantastic a sheep country, but back you know on the heels of all the intensive predator control and even like an ilk, even after it was illegal a lot of the outfitters and stuff would still go up in the brooks and hammer the, the wolves on the air with their airplanes in the springtime and the sheep real you know sheep did very well in places that weren't always great sheep country um primarily because of how hard they hammered on the wolves up there and then it, you know it's just not the case anymore yeah. but that's you know just it's a opinion that I tend to, you know, I think there's probably something to it. All those guys have been, those guys have been around and seen a few things and saw what it was like and what was done to get it like that. And, uh, yeah, I don't think it, you know, I don't write it off. Certainly. I kind of yeah. tend to believe them. There's so much area here. It's hard to keep great tabs on everything too. You have a oh, couple yeah. of people who have it dialed in, but you know, even, even the biologists that it's their job to study the area. There's just so much territory that it's impossible for them to know exactly what's going on so yep um well it's part of like like when they they initially or was it in the last year or two they finally got an accurate count of this herd or so they thought and it had jumped it was like thirty thousand or twenty thousand more animals than they thought was in there uh-huh. for the caribou yeah i mean it's it's a lot of country and tough to keep tabs on and it's not like animals stand out for you to count them no well, that was the thing with uh, that article came out last February about all but five of the wolves were trapped on Prince of Wales, <laughs> which is ridiculous. You know, it's so dense and so thick down there. But, you know, whatever Center for Biological Diversity, whatever puts out that press release that says all but five. And it was based on an estimate that well, was an estimate and it was an old estimate. And so it looked like trappers got 160 of the 165, but or whatever number it was. You know, the biologists are just guessing. Like, you can't just yeah. fly over, and you're not counting packs because it's way too dense. Yep. And so it puts the biologists in a terrible position because it's not their fault. Like, it just, there's, no. the wolves are too smart. They're, they're, the area's too dense to get that good count. But then the people down south who, you know, judge everything based on what they've seen. So it's not really their fault just because they don't know any different. Yeah. Um, but they jump on board, and, you know, so you got all these lawsuits and things like that when, like, well, just take a second to look at the vast area let's it's not that the biologists are incompetent it's just an impossible job to do and so you might be off by 20,000 caribou you know you might yeah. be off by 100, 100 150 wolves and if you live here it's like yeah okay that's kind of to be expected yep but 
Well, and some of that stuff changes, you know, like where, like the caribou herds are constantly changing and moving and morphing, you know, like, well, part of the, you know, the whole, the, the, you know, part ties into that whole Anwar porcupine herd debate, you know, and they're talking like, cause you know, you look at the central Arctic herd right next door and, and it's exponential growth. And then it's right now it's about, it went to, was like almost a hundred thousand animals or something Jeez. like, I can't remember the numbers exactly. I did look them up, but, and looked at the several studies on them and they they declined down to now or like around 30 or 35,000 somewhere it's right at the target um but you know you think oh well they're it must have something to do with the oil well it's they figured a lot of those caribou joint because they'll inter a lot of herds will intermingle in certain cycles of the year and then sometimes this bunch will go with that herd and Mm -hmm. you lose you lose 10,000 animals in a whack, you know, and just stuff changes. Like they're used to back in the, what, whenever Frank Glasser had his cabin at Savage River, there was herds that, that wintered right there um, west of Healy. Like supposedly so, you know, that one winter there was so many caribou, it was just like a sea all the way from Healy out past like the Savage River, you know, in that book Alaska's Wolfman, he talked about having them part around him and his dog team as he was going out to his cabin just nuts um well in the modern um take of that is i think between the nelchina herd and the 40 mile herd is either one broke off from the other and joined the other and that's why they either cut the tags down and i know yeah one year for the nelchina herd there was like a couple years in a row it was like five thousand tags they were giving out for draw tags. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and they, yeah, they'll break off and go with a different herd or stay in a different area. You know, some you get some decline. You know, if if you get a big boom, there's going to be some level of decline because a lot of you know, especially the older cows as they get old and die. You know, but uh, no, it's pretty interesting, and it's not ever. I don't think it's ever quite as simple as as people make it out to be. Like with the wolves thing down there, I mean. I'm no scholar, but, you know, they tried, they poisoned the shit out of wolves up here for, you know, I don't know, better, better than a decade. They still didn't get rid of them. You know, you could, why even have a quota on Prince of Wales? You yeah. could have guys, you know, all right, have Adam boys, trap them all you want. They're not going to get them all. No, no. They're such a prolific animal yeah. and smart. You know, you're, you're going to, you may get a bunch of them. You may get I say most, you may get the majority of them, but you're not going to get rid of them all. Yeah. They're still going to, there's, and it's going to end up providing more food for the ones that are left. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, and a lot of the old timers in, well, in that Jim Reardon book about Glasser, he talks about from his own observation, you know, of different through the decades that nature's not, well, and, and this is like the classic, oh, well, nature can take care of itself. And so it's like, nature isn't a balance. It's a seesaw. Yeah. It goes from, yeah, yeah you know, plenty to starving and back again, you know, it's just big, wide, dramatic swings, you know, it's like a bigger play out of the lynx hair, snowshoe hair population thing. And it just is how it is. You know, that's just to such a, I don't know, that's just something where you can't really mitigate it because it's so widespread. But, but when you're talking about managing herds of this and that, sometimes you can maintain a fairly stable, like a stable, uh, sustainable yield, which that's the whole goal of yeah. the management is a maximum to maximize the sustainable yield 
that yeah. we can peel off the top. But mm-hmm. anyway, yeah. there I go. Trying that, to sound like a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> well, that uh, here's me being a scientist in about a state I'm not even in. But like the down south with highways and private property that's cut off the natural migration corridors, which are so important for those animals. Like people are judging all animal species and management based on, you know, what they've seen. And so if they mm-hmm. see that there's hardly any elk and you don't have the ability to even do much seesawing at all because it's, yeah. it's, it's very, very delicate. Yep. Um, whereas here it's so much more wild. Like you can, you can have that back and forth and it's in, it's a lot more healthy than it is down south. It's all been, you know, you have the people who buy an expensive ranch and they like the elk. And so the elk will, they just want the elk to be around so they can look at the elk. Mm-hmm. But then the rancher next door who is, you know, who needs um, their cows to be able to graze, but the elk get on there and the elk eat all that, it's going to mess up their cows. And so there's, you know, they're the, the ranchers who are trying to function in a ranch are then in a difficult situation because they like the elk, but the elk is, is eating what, you know, it's, that's their livelihood. And mm-hmm. so when people are looking at it from that perspective, it's totally different than up here. And it's wild and, and open and. Well, even things like, um, you know, I, I, there, there was some study saying that they think hikers were resulting in a lot of elk declines in I think Colorado or in certain areas because people hiking through their calving grounds, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I mean that, well, calving, that's another thing they talk about with the caribou up there, but there, there are different animals and different you kind of just have to take each situation yeah. as it is, but uh, I don't know how we got sidetracked on that. But <laughs> that whole deal, but yeah, like yeah. the the wolves down in Prince of Wales, yeah, that it's seems silly. It yeah. seems silly to probably you know from every every reasonable person I've talked to about it. But that's part of it. Isn't that kind of the motivation behind that part of they say it's some separate subspecies of wolf, which it's not, but yeah. And that's if, – if they're gone, they're going to be gone for good. And then, you know, it was a great headline, you know, all but yeah. five trapped, which means they're about ready to go extinct. But then there was a three-week season this year, and trappers got 68. Yeah. So that's just – that's proof. But you don't get that proof that's disseminated or given out to everybody who, who donated money to these causes or these lawsuits yeah. that are trying to get that uh, – get the trapping stopped. You know, they don't hear the rest of that story. Like yeah. you said, just just educate yourself, and it's each situation is so different. So just take a little bit of time and read, and say, okay, it's probably not like it appears, and yeah. just read a little bit more. But and it seems like that's like the the classic struggle up here is being you know everything you know the masses that get to vote for people who make decisions about mm-hmm. stuff we're doing are. At the at the whim of whoever can provide the most powerful propaganda, yeah. basically. Yeah. yeah, and vote whoever you want, you know, donate whatever money you want to whatever organization. It's a free country, but you know, take a second to think about what the opposition is. You know, yeah. why are these, why why are Alaskans thinking this, and why do I think I know what's best for Alaskans? Because we're greedy. Yeah. <laughs> From my laptop in, you know, wherever at the Starbucks cafe, so that's just a total generic stereotype, right? But, um, yeah, just, it's probably not exactly what it seems. So yep. just, you know, take a little second and, and read. And if you still want to donate money, that's fine. Go ahead and do what you want, but just know that it's complex. And if you haven't been here and you haven't seen it, then it might be a little bit different than, than what you read. Yep. No. And that's, that's a surprisingly tough point mm-hmm. for people to accept sometimes, yeah. but what can you do? <laughs> but, keep living life and keep shooting animals to eat them. Yeah. That's right. That's right. 
or even to not eat them sometimes. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so what's um, yeah, what's on the docket for? You're up here for a couple more days. You guys are going to maybe go fishing. Fishing tomorrow is the plan. Yeah. I don't Nothing know if says, I'll be able to peel away. And, yeah, spring break, you know, off from school. It's nice to be up here. But, yeah. Uh, so trying to do as, as many uh, real Alaska things as possible. So got the caribou and might do some uh, some fishing uh, tomorrow. So that'll be cool. But, uh, yeah. So you say you, you opened the door by saying that. <laughs> is that like the common the common theme in Southeast is that you're not in real Alaska. <laughs> I, I think it's, 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 a, it's like a self-deprecating humor. You know, yeah. it's just easy to say, okay, I, I'm not going to try to be at your level. I'll, I'll call myself JV Alaska, you know, whatever it is, you know, it's, I, I acknowledge that it's different. Um, but, uh, yeah, it just is. It's just, just different. Oh, it's, yeah. It's, it's totally different. And it's cool that you can have, you know, like, what is a genuine Alaskan experience? And they can be a million different things, mm-hmm. you know, whether you're Southeast or on Kodiak or here or yeah. up on the slope or, or something like that. It's just, it's a pretty. Catch can life is different from Fairbanks life. Just as much as Fairbanks is different from like living in Barrow or something, you know, oh, man, I, yeah, there's some areas that I just, I can see the appeal of like a Fairbanks, why people would want to be here and stay here. Some other areas, like, it might be a little more difficult for me to understand, but I haven't been there yet, so I don't know. But um, I don't know some of those Arctic hubs, Cotsview, Barrow might be a little bit too extreme for me. Yeah, it's, I don't know, everywhere, It's there's just always a price to pay. And yeah. some of those places have, you're even farther out in the middle of amazing opportunities. It's just, I guess you, you everybody's got to pick what they're willing to pay, what mm-hmm. they're, the price they're willing to pay for, yeah, really. for having those opportunities and what they're willing to put up with. But I guess that's kind of life in general, I would think. Yeah. So Harrison, I've been talking about some other hunts and most of the hunts in Southeast, like I'm out of the woods in a day or two. Yeah. It just go up and overnight. So how do you transition or how do you get to the point where you're doing week long, 10 day long, sheep hunts because you just didn't like your first sheep hunt or your first ever overnight hunt wasn't a 10 dayer so how do you like train yourself mentally and physically to get in shape for for your sheep um i'm trying i'm thinking back when i was a kid i i don't think i ever did an overnight hunt as i've grown up in colorado it was like uh you go you leave from the house Mm-hmm. four or five o'clock in the morning and go hunt and not not to say that there isn't a lot of backpack hunting opportunities down there it wasn't really part of my world growing up but um moving up here i maybe did an overnight or two but it was really like i just kind of went for it and i don't think there's anything wrong with that um it helped that i was in really good shape when i when i was 18 the first time i went sheep hunting i was 18 and in really good shape and that probably helped the mental side because it it's intimidating and it can just crush you mentally yeah. um if you're not ready well there's no there's almost no way to like really get ready for it i would say you just got to know it's going to suck and you're not going to quit yeah. type of type of mentality and there's all sorts of techniques for doing this or that you know but if you can, if you can spend one, if you can spend one night out, you can spend ten. It's just a matter of accepting the mentality, you know, of adopting the mentality that that you know that's just what you're going to do, and you're going to deal with one challenge at a time. I think that's a big thing. 
is uh is sitting especially in the er, you know my earlier years of sheep hunting and still it's like i'll pull up and be like holy shit these mountains like they did not get any smaller this year <laughs> this is gonna suck but you and it's really it can be really intimidating when i when i first started sheep hunting i used to have the the mentality like oh i hope i can get one on the first climb or, or like a, a mentality of like i i want to minimize the amount of climbs i have to do or you know i hope i can find an easy one in a good spot and that just sets you up for disappointment and it set and it, i found it sets you up for not being willing to put in maybe more effort it, it's just it makes it harder when things don't work out like you visualize or like you want them to because mm-hmm. a lot of times they won't um and it, i mean i anymore it's just i try to adopt the attitude that it's just gonna suck and i'm just gonna do what it takes and i'm not gonna quit even if you know i don't have to go fast but i'm just gonna keep after it and keep pounding away on it but um Maybe I'm just talking in circles here. I'm just trying. I'm trying to think at the same time. Like put myself back in, back in, in young, strong Tyler's shoes. And uh, well, I think once you do get that mental frame of reference that you can physically do it, then if you're yeah, not as physically in shape, you know, mentally you're not going to break down. Yeah, and that's a big one. You know, you, obviously, I would tell anybody to be and be in good enough shape that you're not going to get hurt. You know, if you got, you know, like if you, if you sprain it, if you sprain your ankles easy or something like that, mm. do stuff to work on those Hike, You know, I mean, hiking with a backpack is as good as, as good a preparation is, is anything. Um, but yeah, doing that and, and just having a mentality that you're not going to quit, that you can do it. And no matter, even if, even if it takes you a long time or you have to take more breaks, you can do it. You just got to eat the eat the elephant yeah. one bite at a time type of deal <laughs> um because that and that's yeah that's what i was getting at is the earlier is sheep hunting i'd be i would it would almost it can be like a crippling intimidation mm. i think yeah you know and, and uh, that gets worse i mean even now like you know when you so, solo hunt solo hunting um like when I, I killed that ram by myself and I was about to throw up in the parking lot, you know, before I, when I was getting ready to go, once I got going, I was okay. But it's just, when you look at, and just only for a while it gets worse because you know how bad it can get. And you look at the whole experience as the whole laying in front of you, like, man, I got to do all this bullshit and it's going to suck. And like, how bad is it really, how bad is it going to be, you know, how many more miles is it going to be? And just the fear of the unknown type of thing, um, can really cripple you, especially if you've got a challenging hunter, you got a lot of, a lot of really hard stuff you got to do, mm-hmm. you know, and that can be anything, you know, if you're, you're going moose hunting or some riding your four wheeler into a spot that's, you know, it's got a lot of kind of scary or very difficult stuff to get through. Um, you just got to break it down and know you're going to handle one step at a time is the biggest thing, you know, tackle one obstacle at a time. If you can go there, you can go back and, uh, and don't think or focus as much on like, how am I going to, you got to think about how I'm going to get an animal out of here response responsibly, but you kind of also have to put that out of your mind and just deal with it once you're, once you're stuck in that situation. But Yeah. That's another big one is just taking, focusing on one obstacle at a time and 
try not to worry about the stuff you have no control over. Yeah. You know, deal with things, but don't stress about them. Yeah. I was talking with Harrison about his, because I I absolutely want to go get a doll sheep. It's on the list. So I'm just hearing stories and, you know, so many miles and all the, you know, listen to your podcast about all just the the, the torturous nature of it. And and Harrison was talking about how you finally saw... He's like, it was was so easy. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not. He, He... you saw a legal ram, and then you're excited. And uh, I saw the video footage. You're stoked, and then you go over there, and like someone else had shot it. And you like got to talk to the hunter who shot it. Is that is that how it happened? Yeah, yeah. I can't even imagine mentally what that would do to me. Like, uh, oh, it, it sucked, but then <laughs> it helped. Uh, that luckily for us, like less than an hour later, we just posted up and just started to glass farther down uh, this mm-hmm. valley, and we saw one with our bare eyes just on the other side of the creek from where we were and uh put glass on it and it was like holy fucking shit that thing is huge like well just massive and uh so that helped it's like oh well he did shoot the only one so whatever we got to do to go find another one that's fine yeah and that's tough that's the tough that's one of the toughest things is when a stock like you're right there you put all this effort into a stock and nothing i mean when uh and that eventually will happen. For a while, I was lucky. Like, I killed my first ram, like, first stock. Second ram, first stock. Third ram was one stock. Fourth ram was one stock. Fifth ram was one stock. And I think it was the sixth one that I finally, Jeez. I finally effed her up big time. And, uh, but I'm like, and I was getting scared. I'm like, how much longer is this going to go? Because, like, <laughs> you know, I know how smoked I am. And how, I knew it would be mentally, it's mentally difficult. After sometimes you'll put a day or two days into trying, getting on a ram. And, you know, if you play your cards right, usually it'll work out. But sometimes it won't. Stuff, that, you know, and maybe some people have have a different rate of rate of having just weird stuff happen and having them get away but you know like well we had me and my buddy frank had we were sneaking up on one we'd seen these rams the day before across a huge valley got down kind of spotted them they had a routine and we went up this one canyon and the wind was kind of swirling weird and we seen rams run up like moving across the like high way up in the castle rim rock above us and it was the rams we were after they'd winded us we didn't know that yet so we climb 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 and then you're painstakingly descending where you're thinking you're above them coming down on top of them then you get down to the tent and you're like well they're not here <laughs> must have been them and it's yeah you, and it gets easier you know you to know and if you if you can hang in there and start you'll start to learn that st- man, stuff can still happen stuff can still work out and sometimes at the very last 30 minutes of the last day you know, there was one, there was one ram where I had, I had hit a ram and dropped and we stopped, you know, stalked from below. I shot him, he rolled, and it was blizzard snowing. He rolled down into this gully next to us. Took us about 20 minutes to get over the top, got up there and he was gone. He wasn't there. And we spent like three days or two and a half or three days looking for him. And it's not like there's any brush or anything. Yeah. There's nothing there. He was gone. And I, I mean, even backing across, looking for birds or anything. And, uh, could, I mean, look, that whole ridge system couldn't ever find him. Long story short, I'm like, well, that's probably my hunt. You know, it's done. And, uh, 
the last it was the last day we could still hunt and get back to their strip in time to get picked up um we had spotted a group of rams and my buddy steve and and tim there was two legal ones in there and they were going to shoot those two so i went with them and literally as we're climbing up like it's in the evening climbing up to get a shot at those look up the valley and there's three other rams and one of them i only i only looked at the one of them because it was that who the this one that we'd been trying to get for like three years and would see him every year, but couldn't ever get something would always happen. And anyway, I broke off and climbed up and I didn't get him, but when I popped over the ridge, I kind of got up out of sight and they were, three of them were feeding on this face towards me. And then they were, I would assume, all right, they're going to feed into this valley, this tight canyon. So I went up the next canyon down and popped over the ridge and there was only two of them there. The other one had, I guess, turned around and went the other way. And I'm sitting there with my binos, you know, looking and I did some bino judging and, and shot and it was a nice ram, but, uh, like the last literally, you know, an hour later it was dark Hmm. or almost dark, you know? So it was like very like, end zone type thing that I never would have expected to happen. And and it's, and there's, you know, once or twice I've passed up Rams and not had it work out, but you know, if you hang in there, like you never know what's going to happen, even just Mm -hmm. down to the very, the very finish line after all hope is, all hope is lost, you know, (laughs) but if you're still, if you're still hunting and still trying, there's still hope. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty similar story to my sheep because whenever we saw that real big, Ram after the ones that we were after had been shot uh, on opening day. Um, we woke up kind of late, and so the wind was already kind of blowing up, and we were just going up right beneath where we knew they were. And once we got up to kind of where they were, they were already like 600 yards away, walking away up up a hill. And so we we're like, oh, well, busted them. Like, I kind of had a feeling because the wind was blowing like at my back, but a little sideways. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, it, was, it was like disappointing, but also I had a feeling in my head like. I probably should have woken up three hours earlier <laughs> when the wind may have not been blowing straight up at them. Um, but anyway, that day we ended up doing like 15 miles going way up high and then walking across the spine of this ridge and everything and then back down into the valley. And we were just like, oh, defeated. But we had seen some rams on the other side of the drainage. We we're like, well, we'll go after those tomorrow. Hmm. And we just walking by and we were like a mile from our tent. And I just looked to my left. I'm talking to my buddy Steve. And there's just five sheep right behind him. And it's like, holy fuck, they're down here all, all the way at the valley floor. Like, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> it was a gimme, you know. Made a couple really long shots, like 380 yards when I'd never shot that far before. And hit it a few times and broke its front leg, but didn't drop it and ended up tracking it down for another 30, 40 minutes or something. But finally got it. And boy, that was a relief. That was a emotional, to say the least. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, that's that's on the list. Like the caribou has always been on the list because it's yep. just it's an iconic hunt, and the doll sheep for sure too. It's got to do it. Yep. No. Yeah. Absolutely can. It's uh, yeah. It's intimidating, but you can you can absolutely do it. You know, if as as long as a person can, you know, if you can if you can know how to pack and spend a night or two out, especially if you can, you're you're used to camping, you know, in the alpine in those kind of nasty rain conditions down there, then you'd be fine. You'd be just fine. Sheep hunting. That's just, just a little bit longer of a grind. It's just different. Yeah. And something, you know, sometimes you may, you know, you may walk 
20, 30, 40, 50, 60 miles on a, on a, through, over the course of a hunt. Sometimes you don't, it just, just depends. Don't, I, I just, I'd try to tell people not to box themselves into thinking that, all right, this is, that's what I used to do is like, all right, this is as far as I have to go. You know, yeah, it's yeah. just kind of being open to, to, to subject yourself to a little bit more abuse if the, if the time comes or if you need to look in different spots, you know, and, and you can do it. You just got to grind away at it. Yeah. But what sucks down there is all is pretty much all those goat hunts are draw down there, right? Around you guys. Yeah. The ones that are, that don't require a boat are pretty much the backyard Yeah, and there's not many of them. And I have a buddy who's drawn three of them. I'm thinking, dude, how do you, how are you Fishing game. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Conspiracies. Yeah. Um, but there's a couple registration ones that if you have a boat access and there's a couple docks that are like close enough to be able to then take a four wheeler to a spot and then hike up. And there people are really, really closed mouthed about that. You talked about like, there is no Southeast Alaska mountain goat forum that I know of. Like, no, nope. that, that, that is, that is some prime sort of, we're not talking about it. Um, but there are some areas and it's, it, it's still pretty much the same sort of deal. Like you, you know where to go, you know, you got to get above 3,000 or 3,000 or so feet in elevation. And like wherever there's a registration tag, there's goats there. It's yep. just how accessing a spot that might be a little bit easier or that there is access or, um, cause you're looking at all that, that thick, um, forest to get up to the top and break out into the alpine yeah, it's not so. as simple as just climbing a hill no a lot so of times. that's kind of the access points of the big points down there but you know there's if you want to work hard and you want to do it you can do it yeah um i have yet to get one i was i scouted a spot last year i didn't see any but everything looked good i never got to the back side of it though which is where i figured that they would be but it's shooting a nice buck up there mm. um but that's like shooting a caribou when you're sheep hunting <laughs> yeah hunt ender not not saying that's not okay yeah yeah um it was one of those weather windows and yeah you oh know, yeah you gotta so make the like, most of it yeah yeah and it was actually i was gonna propose to my girlfriend who was on the the hunt with me yeah so i was like well um i don't want to hike all the way back down to camp <laughs> and then you know leave empty-handed so yeah we're gonna we're gonna that that deer is gonna take it it's gonna be the proposal deer nice i think that happens so that was good but heck yeah, yeah. so there might be goats on that mountain. I don't know, but um, there's one less deer. So that's nice. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, no, I think, and yeah, that's something I need to go. I need to do one of these years is go alpine hunting deer. Yeah, down there probably it probably has more in common with goat hunting than than sheep hunting. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I mean sheep you can get some pretty nasty, steep, scary spots, but. They're not, that's kind of the norm in that, yeah. in that country down there from what I, from what I hear. Yeah. Not having set foot on it myself. Yeah. Well, some of the areas where they have, and why those, those tags are so coveted is that you can essentially day hunt it. Interesting. Because there's a trail that gets up there and it's not nearly as extreme. Yeah. Um, obviously some of the bigger ones are on those rock faces and it's like, I know you can see me, but what are you going to do about it? Yeah. Um, but it's, it is very accessible and you're close to town and there's not a crazy fly out. So it's very... It's awesome. Like budget friendly too, yeah. Yeah, for budget if it, friendly. If the guy draws it, yeah. Yeah, but uh, you know, every year there's a couple of people who can't do it, and you know, life gets in the way. Someone down south draws it and can't do it, and you know, you've talked about it on your podcast. I've talked about it on mine, and sometimes the unused tags they just 
All right. Well, better for the population, I guess, you know, or 20% of the tags aren't used because there's not many of them. So maybe that's good. Maybe this person was going to go up and they're going to shoot a nanny. Yeah. You know, even though they're supposed to go for a billy, but maybe they happen to shoot a nanny. And so you go down that route of hypotheticals or because this didn't happen and this didn't happen, which meant that this didn't happen, but whatever, you know. Yep. Just kind of is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. You didn't draw the tag. So figure something else out to do, but. Yep. You guys get, you got quite a bit of, uh, one thing I, I always want to do down there too, you know, along with steelhead fishing is cutthroat fishing. Mm-hmm. I was, I was liked trout fishing and when i was a kid and the couple spots that you could like go and catch a couple fish was not i was i'm spoiled now up here i'm like a i'm a very it's alaska's turned me into a very impatient fisherman yeah when i'm doing it. it's like punch a hole ding 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 nope next one mm-hmm. you know or or if you're fishing it you know fishing for graylings bad you know it's like all right three casts nope we're moving yeah <laughs> go find some fish but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've, there's probably a lot of, you know, still fairly pretty cool, pretty cool crick fishing, as yeah. I would call it, opportunities down there, huh? Yeah, really pretty fish, too. Um, a lot of the cutthroats don't get super, I don't know, like 14 to 16 inches is, is well, a pretty I think they nice have fish. a pretty short lifespan compared to, like, rainbows and other fish, don't they? Yeah, and they don't have, you know, the southeast, you have relatively large islands, you know, but you're not, you don't have massive rivers where, you know, they can there's as much food you know when people come up to prince of wales island they're expecting a 30 inch rainbow trout it's just not going to happen yeah because you're not you know in the in the kenai river where there's so much more food mm-hmm. it's a, a larger river that's you know drains so many other di- different tributaries yeah um you know the fish just aren't as big um but super pretty and fun and if you can appreciate a 14 to 15 inch per, uh trout then that's awesome. So yeah, it's it's a lot of fun for sure. Yeah, you do some fly fishing too, don't you? Is that yeah. what you you primarily do for steelhead too, or? Yeah, when I grew up, it was all spin casting, and then down in California, like the one way that you knew you'd be able to fish is if it was single hook barbless fly fishing. Yeah. So I didn't have to worry about okay, well this didn't stretch, have to worry about the yeah yeah this thirty miles I can fish like this 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 but not this it's just like all right if I want to fish I can fish this is the way to do it so. That's when I started fly fishing, and it's it's a lot of fun. Nice, yeah, um, it is fun. I kind of, I'm not much of a fly fisherman, but I I, I enjoy it. It's fun. I, I love catching grayling up here, and you kind of get sick of grayling after a while. But it's uh, are you a uh, you wouldn't describe yourself as a purist, would you? Are you a are you a, are you a dry fly only guy or or whatever they're biting? I'm kind of a whatever they're biting guy. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a dry fly fisherman just because that. When you see that fish start to come up from below, it's just yep. like, oh my gosh, here we go. And then they'll just not take it and go dive. Yeah. Oh my gosh, what 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 just happened? Or you Why? yank it right Why? out of their mouth. Oh my you gosh. See that mouth open. <laughs> yeah. I was um I've done that before where you just get so excited that you just yank it right out. It, it wanted just a deliberate mouth is out, he's just relaxing, here it comes for the snack, and just out from under so it's that sort of thing that makes me like it it's the adrenaline rush more so than it's the proper way yeah <laughs> to to to, to, to do things it's funny to me how like some people take that extremely oh. seriously like to a level i can't even fathom <laughs> yeah it's it's bad you know everybody can can get like that it just depends on what it is yeah you know, no like, that's that's true um we just buy into these personas or buy into the whatever so you know it's yeah it is what it is but uh it's a lot of fun to 
to find something that that you like on your own terms. Just be like, eh, cool, enjoy it. So, heck yeah, no, I was like, so I was telling you b- before, I've I was doing pretty good about ice fishing most of the winter, but it's like staying in that mode, and it's been a little while now, so time to get back on it. Yeah. Sun's coming back. Sun's coming back. It's st- and we still got. It's, it's like fool's spring. Like it, it can trick. It can trick. It can trick you into thinking like, yeah. all right, time to break out the shorts. We're <laughs> we're at the end of it, but we're not at the end of it. So nope. there's still plenty of time for for lots of the lots of lots of wintertime fun still. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I keep asking Harrison. I'm like, dude. So it's gonna be like this for another month and a half. He said, well, March is still winter, but I just ice packed. St- streets for another month and a half is just crazy to me yeah and it could you know it could be usually i'd say snow's mostly gone by mid-april usually and then yeah like and then mid, the, late and then, april and then yeah and then the river like the river breakup yeah river and the rivers usually go out right at the end of april it depends sometimes like there's well a few years back i think it was yes yeah, 2013 rivers didn't go out till may 20th Oh wow! I couldn't even get my boat on the river till like June first because hmm. all you know after the ice goes out, I'll give it like a good week and make sure all the big ice jams and out, shit yeah. have flushed out of there before putting my boat in the water. That's the thing I don't want to do is get <laughs> put my boat in and then get trying to go back upstream or whatever and have a river wide ice jam coming down the river. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, again, another thing we don't have to deal with down there. Things drain yeah. so quick. We have a torrential downpour which gets a lot of the upper snow out and just washes out for about two days things are just crazy yeah but then it's you know back to normal pretty those short short drainages you don't get like if we have you know people you know you like grayland fishing on some of these streams around here if it's real wet like don't even bother Mm -hmm. you know because it take it can the river can come up and it takes a long time to go down sometimes yeah. Kind of take almost takes like a drier summer for it to be consistent, like good fishing conditions, mm-hmm. depending on what you're after. Yeah, I had a buddy that came up uh, to go steelhead fishing, and I said, you know, April's pretty good. Like very beginning of April, it was really good last year. So come on up. So he came up, and it was cold, and the water was dropping, and it just stayed cold and low, and like the, the fishing was about two weeks late because. That first really big rain, the water war- warms up a little bit. It comes up, and then the fish get in there. But you know, until that happens, like so that's kind of like salmon. They're just staged, just wait, waiting for the high water to to yeah. push up. So he came up the first day that it, it was raining, and uh, he caught one. I caught two, and then the rest of the week it was just slow going. Oh man, the water dropped so quick it wasn't, and then it I felt kind of bad, but it was pretty. Yeah. It's cold, clear, you know, calm, but just not, not really good steelhead fishing, but. Yeah. When you wonder, it's, it's funny, especially when you have a buddy coming up that you're trying to help do something. And it would be interesting to like, just know the statistics of how many people come up here and uh, it's a hard way to like categorize it, but basically don't get what you're after mm-hmm. type of thing. You know, whatever trip that is, whether it's seeing the Aurora, you know, like, mm. There's so much stuff you have zero control. Yeah. You know, it's like when things line up, it's freaking magical. Yeah. But when they don't, it's it's just shooting dice, man. Yeah. <laughs> as to whether there's just stuff that you you know, and you feel bad as a like as a host. You know, like if you invite someone up to come do something and stuff just doesn't work out, you know, 
we're kind of used to that, but it's always like, it makes, it makes me feel bad. Or it's, it's like being a, a charter service on code an air charter service on Kodiak, you know, dealing with people all the time that don't really understand, you know, I mean, if you're, that's your day in and day out, you know, all right, well, it's shitty out. We're not flying. Yeah. It just is what it is. Mm-hmm. Go do something else. But people can get pretty, you know, you get naturally so you get so attached to the idea of like all right well i'm flying in here i've got i've got my plan and if things don't go according i tell that's the one thing i tell anybody is like well be flexible in your in your plans Mm -hmm. and in your expectations because it can be phenomenal but you know you're never know what's gonna you never know what's gonna happen too that's how it was for jeff coming up you know me taking him out caribou hunting it's like god i really fucking hope we find a caribou (laughs) just a caribou that that's all i want is just find one and so after going out to a couple pretty long expeditions in a couple popular areas where I've taken caribou before and mm-hmm. we get up in these high areas and you can glass for miles and miles and miles and don't see anything like no tracks or nothing. It's like, yeah. Oh shit, dude. <laughs> we have to come back here tomorrow and go back home and gas everything up again and come back out the next day and try it. But we got lucky towards the evening. Yeah. No. Yeah. So it sounded like a healthy, like you had to work for it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. But it, yeah. But it worked out. Those are always the nice ones. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of given a little bit of a bad impression because when we first started to go out the first time, um, we had to go down into like a, a low spot where there's a bunch of timber so that the snow's real deep. Yeah. And then break up onto above tree line and everything. And like fucking 10 minutes in, I, <laughs> I'm going through deep timber and I had got like target panic on drive my snow machine i fucking hit a tree and shattered, oh, shattered the windshield on my tundra and it's like oh fuck and that got me stuck and so i got out and shoveled myself and moved it and got unstuck and you'll have to talk to temple he was just rigging up like a lexan i know i'm I, shield, I was thinking about calling him and telling him to make me one yeah but, but yeah so it's like oh fuck what kind of a show am i putting out here like yeah, follow me. Just <laughs> bang. Do you just, want me to drive into the tree? Yeah. I, I was so far behind him, I didn't see hit that happen. I was just following the tracks at, you know, my speed cruising. And then just just a – and it looked like a, a, an elk or a moose had just raked this tree. Like there was debris <laughs> all over the place. I'm like, oh, well, something happened here. But I didn't see um, – I didn't see anything else or any evidence of anything else happening except maybe he just kind of crushed through the tree or whatever. And then I, I see the, the windshield. Oh, well. You see me grab and <laughs> rip it off yeah. and shove it in my the box in the back of my sled. And Yeah. So I was glad I was I was slow and just doing my thing. And oh, what was that? wonder what happened there. But yeah. And then he, he, he organized the uh, the Aurora to come out pretty good that night too. Oh, so my nice. gosh, man. The, past, <laughs> the first night you were here and then especially the night coming out from the caribou hunt was unbelievable is it a pretty pretty well it's probably a rare glimpse to see the sky down in ketchikan it's but. oh yeah <laughs> the we always miss every eclipse you yeah. know because there's clouds and then the, there are some nights where it's there's supposed to be good aurora but you still have to look north very rarely is it you know right up, yeah. right overhead so you got to have north and you got to get out of the trees so you got to go like go down to the beach yeah and look north and then um but yeah they're so vibrant here and it's right above the head and that was sweet and then uh, on the way back in, we stopped at um, some roadhouse that the, had... Uh, yeah, Chattanooga, Chattanooga Roadhouse, yeah. yeah. I forgot my water. So we had one bottle of water for the whole day. I'm like, dude, this oh, is man. terrible. And so in the back of my head, I'm like, you can't be making these mistakes, man. Yeah. You can't, especially with consequences up here with how cold it is and everything. It's, you can't be doing that stuff. And I was just chastising myself for forgetting the water. But, and that's like, yeah. as a just a little insert note, that's a 
tough. It's a it's easy to get dehydrated in the cold because mm-hmm. you don't get as thirsty. You don't feel as thirsty necessarily, and it's balls cold, and you're having to drink cold ass water even if it's, it's in not your fun. cooler. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So as we were heading back toward that spot, I was like, "This is they're going to be out of water." Like I was so excited. We got the caribou. Awesome. Heading back in. We got Aurora. But man, I'm thirsty. Like <laughs> I am peeing dust. So uh, I, I need some water. <laughs> yeah. So I was mentally preparing for this place to be closed. It's like. Everything started going very, very right. So there has to be something that's, you know, I have to go another 40 miles or something like that without water. But it was open too. So we had water and man, it just got like better and better. Um, despite nice. my. Did you get you a dredge burger? No, I was so dehydrated <laughs> that I couldn't even. My body was like, no, we, like, you, we don't have water, but we got Coors Light. Yeah. <laughs> we had water and then uh, okay. body was like, wait, okay, you can have a Snickers, but that's about all your body can take right now. Um, so yeah, water and a Snickers and then. Got home and then been just pretty much eating and drinking water since then. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense now with the hydrating. The hydrating, you messaged me, oh, we're just processing caribou and hydrating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it makes sense now, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I was going to bring yeah. a pack of bottled water and I was like maybe most way down my road. And I was like, oh, fuck, I forgot it. Well, he's got his water. I got mine. We're fine. No. <laughs> then, then he uh, forgets oh, his. He's got it. Yeah, he's yeah. got all his shit squared away, so yeah. we don't have to worry about him. Yeah. No. Well, that's, and that's like, as another, like, if you're, if you're experiment with new hunting partners type of thing. It's funny. My <laughs> uncle told me years ago, he's like, if you're go sheep hunting with someone, it's like, you make sure you inspect each other's gear. Yeah. Like you, everybody, you look at all your gear, you know, and that, I mean, I've gone with my buddy Frank enough times now that we kind of. We're on the same program, but <laughs> any new hunting partner, not and not even knocking anybody, it's just like sometimes think some pretty important things can be overlooked. Yeah. Um, can be overlooked if you just make assumptions. Yeah, that's why I'm glad that we end up getting the caribou. So in case I'm never invited back because I never bring water, <laughs> <laughs> well, at least I got this one done. <laughs> Here, there's this sack of water. <laughs> sack of water inside the caribou. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully, yeah, you weren't getting that desperate. No. And no. Harrison gave his pot away so he couldn't melt some snow. I know. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> no, it was fun. Yeah, that, that hunting partner thing is, it's kind of like the college roommate, right? You have a buddy and then living with them the next year is just not the same. It's like we can be good friends, but then renting the same rental together just doesn't work. And same thing with hunting buddies. Like we can hang out, we can chat, we can talk, whatever. But when it comes to hunting having comfort in that program is so important and yeah. it's, it's nothing personal. It's just different styles. Sometimes they don't match. And yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah, it's like just because you're, you're good friends and you get along doesn't, you may be great hunting partners, but it, it's not a given. It's, mm-hmm. it's a totally different dynamic, you know, to, you know, no, you know, and knowing how it's valuable to know mainly to know how like, the person you're going with reacts in stressful situations yeah. Yeah. or stressful or difficult situations. I mean, it seems like that's where a lot of the conflict is yeah. or, or one guy rolls over, you know? Yeah. We're not yeah. talking about getting sick. That was, yeah, not, yeah, I'm not yeah, giving yeah, you a yeah, hard time, yeah, Harrison. Yeah, yeah. We're not talking about stuff you can't control, but, uh, <laughs> Man, that sucked. Uh, no, yeah, no. It, sometimes, and sometimes that stuff will happen too. You just never, you just yeah. never know, but <laughs> If I see as much as is, is much the most complete like discourse I see on online about any of that stuff is probably hunting partners or people looking for hunting partners, and it's 
there's no uh, that there's that's one thing that I think there's no substitute for just time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Trial and error and time, you know. Yeah. But yeah, that's it exactly. Like an overnight trip may not be indicative of what it's going to be like to live with someone for a week in this same tent type of deal. So just have to figure it out and try it and see who works, see who doesn't. And yep. Mm. I've been, I've been pretty lucky myself yeah. for hunting partners to find amicable, agreeable people who aren't either headstrong or, you know, yeah. or, or be like, Hey, you want to go up there and look? It's like, no. It's like, Oh, well, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and even, you know, even if you don't, a lot, a lot of stuff can be overlooked just if a person is a reasonable, amicable person. <laughs> For sure. But, uh, yeah, anyway, but yeah. yeah, man, well, I'm glad it, I'm glad it, uh, you guys had a good time. It looked like fun. Yeah. I'm jealous. I've been thinking since they opened it up to two, I've been wanting to go shoot another one, but I got too much meat to deal with yet here. I've started cranking out some bear sausage and some more. I saved some grind meat for my moose for making brats and stuff like that. So Nice. I got too much work to do to be going and <laughs> shooting more caribou right now. <laughs> yeah. And the caribou out there were... They're in pretty rough shape. They're, yeah. All the meat on them, their quarters were all real thin. Yeah. That's kind of no what... No fat. And, yeah. They will... I think they expected a lot of them to winter kill this year. Hmm. As a reason, they wanted, they wanted to kill so many out of the herd. Well, I mean, they've been being pushed around since oh, yeah. the first week of August. Yeah. Like, with, without stop. Yeah. You know, so it's pushed a, a large population of them, or a large percentage of them, to inaccessible areas. And the ones that are still around the steez are... Somehow still alive. Mm-hmm. No fat. Yeah. That's barely, pretty barely con- meat. But. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, this time of year is when stuff anyway is is really struggling. I think a lot of your winter kills for caribou and moose are in the springtime, you know, even even after it starts to get a little warmer, you know, sometimes it just, everything catches up to them eventually. Yeah. Know? Especially with the wolves out there and the, along the steeps there. I've, I've heard a lot of reports and I've seen quite a few sightings of wolves out there the yeah. times i've been out there this winter so you would think yeah you'd think they're i mean i know guys are up there trapping them but there's i mean when the, any anytime there's a lot of caribou around there's going to be mm-hmm. going to be wolves following especially you know with for months and months and months you got fresh cut piles popping up mm-hmm. in different spots yeah because we drove right over where uh me and patrick and my buddy shot ours in january mm-hmm. and i drove right on top of where the gut piles were and you know it's over a month or like two months ago now, but you know, they're long gone. Oh yeah. Yep. Stuff doesn't last long out there, but anyway, well, I'm sure you guys got stuff to do and I got to go do some jujitsu or something here. Not myself, but take, <laughs> take my boy here in a little bit. There you go. But yeah, glad you guys could come over and good. To, nice to finally, finally meet you, Jeff. Yeah, I'm glad you, you could sit in and shoot the shit a little bit. Yeah. It's nice to be in person too. You know, you hear yeah. about it and, um, yeah, been uh, really enjoyed listening to your podcast and uh, reading your stuff on After Life. So appreciate. Oh, thanks, that. man. Yeah, likewise. So. And you write for the, is it the Juno paper? Juno too? Empire. Yeah, yeah. My students nice. call me a traitor, but a traitor. You know, it's all right. <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah, it's fun. Good. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully, the reality hasn't disappointed too much. <laughs> no, it's been uh, every bit as 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 grueling and cold, but awesome as as possible. It's, uh, it's nice. nice. And then you have like a down day to. Take the thing to the fishing game, and then uh, get water and get prepped for. for oh yeah, because you gotta more, you so. gotta drop off your lower jaws. Yeah, mm-hmm. with this nice. Yeah. No, so. that's awesome. Yeah. So, all right, guys. Well, thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you. 
All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And if you have any comments or questions, you can um, email podcast at tundertalkak.com. And if you uh, appreciate it, if you leave a good review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen on, and if you want to leave a bad one, that's okay, too. All right. Thanks. <laughs>